For those of you guys watching online from coast to coast and across the Fruited Plains, my name is Joe. I'm the pastor here at Lynchburg City Church. And if God puts it on your heart to give to the church, you can do so by going to lynchburgcitychurch.com. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you. We love you, Lord. We love you because you first loved us. Amazing. <clears throat> Amazing love. Lord, um, I would echo Connor's prayer from a few minutes ago. Lord, the persecuted church, Leah Sherabu, Pastor Yusuf, Pastor Wang, Pastor John, Lord, the Christians in North Korea, the Christians in Afghanistan, in Somalia, in Eritrea, in the South Sudan, in Nigeria. Just to name a few places, Lord, where it's so, so difficult to be a Christian. And Lord, in this moment, we, in keeping with the author of Hebrews, remember those who are in chains as if in chains with them. Help them, Jesus. Please help them. And Lord, for our president, we pray for a special kindness and grace in his life today. We pray that you would equip him, that you would strengthen him and sustain him and help him to make good, wise decisions. For all of our leaders, Lord, we, we would ask the same. For our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coast guardsmen, those serving at home and abroad, we pray for their safety, we pray for their protection, and Lord, we pray for their salvation because so many of them, they don't know you. And Lord, today, <clears throat> my prayer is for those of us here that you would free us from distraction, that you would free us from feelings of anxiousness, and that we would hear from you, God. We hear from you. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray for a fresh filling of the Spirit in my life as I preach, that you would keep me from error, that you'd help me to, to stay on the path and say only what you want me to say. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we are in Genesis. <clears throat> We're in Genesis chapter 49, part 44. If it's your first time here, we love expository preaching because it's awesome. That's where you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the story, not skipping any of the stuff, just dealing with all the things. And so um, this is the 44th sermon <clears throat> I have preached in Genesis. We got one more after this. And someone said, are we having service on Super Bowl Sunday? And I, I said, are they still going to have the Super Bowl, you know, on our, our normal gathering with the saints? And they said, yes. And I said, well, then we are too. So um, we, we do have service next week. I don't know why there was ambiguity about that. Um, I promise it will be over probably an hour, at least an hour before kickoff. So I hope you come. If you have a party or somewhere to go to, I hope you're like, yep, I'll be there. I, I got somewhere to be at 4 p.m. So yes, we do have our, our, our weekly gathering next Sunday. But um. Chapter 49, part 44, Jacob is on his deathbed, and uh, this is continuing the story of the life of Joseph. Jacob's dad is a very old man. He doesn't have much time left. He is about to die. Before he dies, he asks that his, his boys come in, and he wants to give them this deathbed blessing, and, and he, that's where we're going to jump into the text. Chapter 49, verse 1, it says, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble, and listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. 
Jacob is going to pronounce these prophetic blessings on his sons. And I want to clear some stuff up right now out of the gate because when it comes to blessings, there are many different types of blessings. And I think it's natural many of us will think of blessings in terms of prosperity, but that isn't the only form of blessings that it can take. And what you'll notice here in this story is that Jacob doesn't give the same blessing to every son. And the reason he doesn't give the same blessing to every son is because Jacob has a biblical mentality, not an entitlement mentality. You see, we we live in a day in which the culture says, forget about character, forget about work ethic, responsibility, doesn't matter. Give everyone a trophy. Those student loans, forgive them. Universal basic income, absolutely. No cash bail, that sounds like a great idea. And on and on. And the culture will market these things as equitable. But they're not. And what you'll notice about some of the content of Jacob's blessings is that it will be thoroughly instructive in nature to his sons. And when it comes to instruction, instruction's a good thing especially when it's listened to, when it's acted upon. And that's what Jacob is pleading in these opening verses. He's pleading with his sons that they'll listen, and not just listen, but they'll actually take heed of what he's saying. And so he begins with the oldest son, Reuben, verse 3. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might. And the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence, Reuben, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Reuben has a big character problem. Remember, these aren't little boys that Jacob is addressing. These are grown men with families, with kids, in their 50s and their 60s. And his dad says, Reuben, this has been a problem. And this continues to be a problem. And something needs to change, Reuben. You see, sometimes it is a blessing when people say true things. And he says to his son, Reuben, your place is not in your dad's bed with your dad's girlfriend. That's what he's saying here. And of course, this does pose somewhat of a problem. This is why a lot of parents will say, do as I say, not as I do. Because our parents, and parents in general, sometimes they can be a tad bit hypocritical. However... The truthfulness of Jacob's statements can stand on its own despite his own flaws, his own hypocrisy. He says, Reuben, who you were in the past, that's who you still are. And I haven't yet seen any change in you. You're still that same guy. You're still dealing with the exact same problems from years ago. You haven't grown at all. And for a lot of people like Reuben, they're born with huge amounts of blessings. I mean... For example, if you happen to be born in this country, you you are very blessed, just on a purely socioeconomic way. And you might say, well, I don't have that much money. Compared to the rest of the world, you do. You do. Just Mexico. Average Mexican worker, they they make somewhere between $7 to $10 
a day. Furthermore, if you've got two parents, you're very blessed. And if one, dare I say, two of those parents love Jesus, worship Jesus, obey Jesus, and they're Christians, man, you are really, really, really blessed. In other words, what will happen is there will be people who have been born into such blessings and then they carelessly flush all those blessings down the toilet. It'd be like if this was, say, um, a football game. Okay? And you get to start the football game off. Your opening drive on the opponent's one-yard line. First and goal on the one, your opening drive, but you basically already scored the touchdown. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just hang with me. Only to, on that opening drive, blunder, fumble on the goal line, throw a pick six. Jacob says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. Reuben, you've had every advantage possible, and you've blown it. This is Reuben. He's in this privileged position as the oldest son born into this family, and then he gives in to sin, and he is allowed to be conquered by sin. He's like his uncle Esau, and he flushes every advantage he has down the toilet. He wastes every opportunity that he has. You know, I think few things are sadder than when people who are given good gifts and opportunities out of sheer common grace, and then they carelessly waste their lives and their potential. Some of you guys, you have been given wonderful gifts. You never use them. And this would include, yes, spiritual gifts. And you've heard me say this if you've been here for any number of times. Spiritual gifts, they're not primarily, they're not primarily for you. They're primarily for the building up of the church. But you're not serving. And you're not plugged in anywhere. And you're doing the church hopping thing. And that's if you even bother to bring yourself to go on a given Sunday. Some of you guys, you've been blessed with great relationships and you use them the wrong way. Some of you guys, you have great friendships. You neglect them. You waste them. Or you use them to satisfy yourself and your lust. Some of you guys, you've been given chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity, and you just don't care. You're like a little spoiled brat and you think only of yourself. This is Reuben. And I hope you're not like him. But if you are, you need to get with the program, grow up, mature up, and repent. Jacob is not pleased with Reuben. He straight up tells him. I mean, can you imagine how uncomfortable this is right now? Your dad's about to die. He's on his deathbed. You think you're going to get these great blessings, and instead you get to hear this? And yet I'd remind you of what Solomon says. Better are wounds from a friend than kisses from an enemy. You see, Jacob cares more about the character of his son than about spoiling his kids and making excuses for them. Well, next kid, Simeon and Levi, verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. 
in these verses, Jacob is recounting the events that transpired in Genesis chapter 34. This is where Jacob's daughter Dinah was hanging out in a place she had no business hanging out in. And in the process, she was kidnapped and raped. And if you remember what happened, Jacob really doesn't do anything about the situation. There's this political pressure on him, and so he's, he's very passive. And so his sons are like, well, if dad's not going to do anything, we're going to do something. And Simeon and Levi, who are also Dinah's full siblings, they go to the town of Shechem, because that's where the kidnapper and the rapist lives. And, and the kidnapper and the rapist says, well, I, listen, guys, I, I messed up. But, you know, listen, actually, I don't even say I messed up. They're just like, listen, can I just marry your sister and we call it a day? And the brothers are like, listen, tell you what, we got this thing. If everyone gets circumcised, then yeah. You can marry our sister and we'll call it a day. So they all get circumcised. And then on the third day, post-surgery, Simeon and Levi show up in the town and they go to the kidnapper's house and they kill him and his dad. And then they proceed to kill the next-door neighbor. And then they kill the other next-door neighbor. And before all you know, all the, all the men in the subdivision, they're all dead. Kids now have no dad Wives now have no husbands, men that had nothing to do with what actually took place. One of the themes that we're seeing in this deathbed blessing is this, and that is the sin of the children, that is Jacob's sons, is coming to light. Specifically, the consequences are being implemented. This is where, like in Numbers chapter 32, 23, it would say this, but if you will not do so, Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. The sin of Jacob's sons are being exposed. But here's the issue with these two, these two boys. Simeon and Levi, Jacob's sons. They don't give a crap. Their attitude is, no one can stop us, we do what we want. And, and that is further evidenced by Jacob mentioning this unrecorded incident in which they go and they hamstrung these oxen. In other words, what they're doing is they're, they're torturing animals just to watch them die. Just for fun. They inflict pain on animals because they like watching them cry and suffer. I mean, can you imagine as a parent explaining that your kids' hobbies include torturing animals? And the crazy thing is, some parents will make excuses all day long for their kids' behavior because they refuse to deal with reality. And they'll say things like, oh, well, they're just going through a phase. Or, or they'll, they'll outgrow it. These guys don't care who they hurt. They don't care how many people are impacted. They don't care about the collateral damage. But notice how Jacob responds. He doesn't make excuses. He tells them straight up, you are violent, cruel, dangerous men. And you need to repent right now. You see, the culture claims to care about equity while ignoring character. And the problem is, you can't care about equity if you don't care about character. Jacob cares about equity and character because God does, and he refuses to make excuses for his kids' behavior. And historically, what do we see with Levi and Simeon? The real estate Levi gets... He doesn't get any real estate. Basically, the tribe of Levi is relegated to 48 different cities spread throughout the 12 tribes. The tribe of Simeon gets a very small real estate portion, but ultimately that track of land is absorbed into the tribe of Judah and then just disappears. Verse 8, Judah, your brother, shall praise you. Your hand shall be 
on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He was washed, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. And historically, these verses will provide the basis for the future Davidic dynasty. But these verses also serve to represent more than just David. Look beyond David to the future and perfect messianic ruler. And here's the thing you need to remember about this guy, Judah. When Judah started, he was a bad guy. In in case you forgot, or this is your first Sunday here, you're like, Judah's a bad guy? He was a bad guy. Really? We sing songs about Judah, lion, tribe of, you know, Judah, lion, tribe, Judah. Those are the lyrics. You've heard them before. No, no, bad guy. Let Let me recap Judah's life. He participated in the plot to sell Joseph. He married a non-believing woman. He had kids that were so wicked, God killed them. Then he slept with a hooker, turned out to be his daughter-in-law. When he found out his daughter-in-law was pregnant, well, he thought, she's pregnant? Got to kill her, burn her. And then when he finds out he's the father, he's like, wait, what? Oh, yeah, I guess we shouldn't burn her. This is Judah, a terrible, terrible person. He was a terrible person, keyword was. But at this point, he's a very different guy. At this point, he's changed. He's repented. And and like Judah, the beauty of the gospel is the patience of God. Like Judah, there is opportunity for each one of us to turn to God. Here's the thing. He has not changed. Had he not changed and turned to God, he'd be in the same exact place as Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. The point of the story, it's never too late to start over. It's never too late to bow the knee to King Jesus and pledge your loyalty to him. Well, verse 13 says this, Zebulon shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. And someone's going to point this out at small group. So I'm going to address it right here. Someone say, hey, uh, Zebulon's tribal boundaries were landlocked according to Joshua chapter 19, 10 and 16. So can you explain the blessing? Talking about ships, living by the ocean. There is this unexpected association which is generally understood, not so much as literally, but rather figuratively. And that is Zebulun's real estate and his family will be characterized by trade and ingenuity and his entrepreneurial spirit. That's what he's saying here. And for the very next son, Issachar, verse 14, Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheep folds. He saw that the resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant to forced labor. He says, Issachar, Issachar, here's your problem. 
Issachar, you have skill, you have ability, you have strength, but you're undisciplined, you're lazy. Note the reference, he saw the resting place was good. See, this is like the person that we might say, man, they have so much unrealized potential. This is Issachar. This is the guy who makes excuses and then just blames other people. And remember, this guy is a grown man. He's not a little kid. He's got a family. It's an awkward conversation. But it's also helpful. You see, leaders have to deal with reality. And many of these boys don't live in reality. They live in fantasy land. And their dad is trying to course correct them here in his final days, which is a problem. It's something, truthfully, Jacob should have been concerned about a long time ago. And and who knows, perhaps this isn't the first conversation he's having about these egregious character flaws. But the point is, he wants them to change. He wants them to be good. He wants them to walk with God. He wants them to obey God. That's what he wants. And then comes Dan, verse 16. I like Dan. I got a brother-in-law named Dan. Dan. Dan, verse 16, shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that his rider falls backwards. And then he says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. He says, Dan, you are tough. Dan, you have this naturally aggressive disposition that you use as a force for good to defend people who need help, and that's a very honorable thing. And some of you guys are like Dan. I mean, you get furious when you see people mistreated. Dan is is the justice seeker of the group. Dan is the protector. Dan cares about people. I recently watched a movie. It was called What is a Woman? If you haven't seen it, I'd highly recommend it. In short, It was one of those movies that you recommend that you also find incredibly upsetting. And I'm someone who, I have the gift of mercy. I really do. But when you hear people in their own words advocating for surgery, for little kids to chop off their private parts and give them hormones... Sucks the mercy right out. And I'm like Dan in that moment. The serpent by the way, the viper by the path. And in those moments, and it's, it's hard to find any mercy. This is Dan. Dan's the advocate. Dan's the justice seeker. Dan cannot stand when people are hurt or taken advantage of or mistreated. And then in verse 18, Jacob says, I'll wait for your salvation, O Lord. In other words, Jacob admits the vulnerability of his descendants when he spontaneously appeals the Lord as his true and trusted source of salvation. In other words, what Jacob is doing besides offering this prophetic blessing and prayer is he stops and he prays and he just asks God, please look after my kids. Please look after them. Raiders, 19. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Gad, life's going to be tough. You're going to have to grind it out. Remain loyal to God, my son. Verse 20, Asher's food shall be rich and he shall yield royal delicacies. 
Asher, you're going to have a family. They're going to take a very agricultural path. And according to Moses' blessings in Deuteronomy 33, Asher is going to enjoy favor with his siblings and prosperity and security. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. You're going to have beautiful children and great-grandchildren. And I'm not going to be there to meet them. But God's going to bless you. The common idea here is prosperity for the tribe. And then he gets, verse 22, to Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. There's a picture. There's a tree and a wall. Branches are going over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Life hasn't always been easy for Joseph. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the God Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. He describes him in terms of this tree, next to this wall, next to this river, next to this stream. Joseph has endured much difficulty. And the fact that he is as this tree, wall, river. Think about this. If you live in a desert climate and you can buy a house, if you can buy real estate next to water, where it makes everything green, that's a really good thing. That's a really great blessing. And that's the blessing that's given and pronounced to Joseph. Joseph gets the majority of the blessing right here in chapter 49, which I don't think comes as a huge surprise. He has been the most faithful. He's been the most obedient. He's been the most honorable. But it's interesting because everyone wants to have blessings. But how many people actually want to be like Joseph? How many people actually want to be loyal and obedient to God? I think what you'll find in most instances is that everyone wants to be blessed, but very few want to actually honor God. That's what you'll find. Benjamin, the youngest, verse 27, he is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, devouring the prey, and the evening, dividing the spoil. There's this reference to morning, evening. Uh, The morning and the evening that's being referenced here... This is what's known as a merism. It's a type of rhetorical divide that Moses used here to simply show that the wolf, Benjamin, is continually on the prowl. And it paints this picture of Benjamin's aggressive behavior. And it's not something, I don't think about Benjamin as being like overly aggressive. I always think of he's like the little brother, doesn't really talk a lot, doesn't have much speaking parts. He's kind of passive. That's not the picture that's painted here. And yet that's exactly how it's going to play out. We see this come to pass with the future military feats of the Benjaminites during the settlement and early monarchy periods. These Benjaminites are going to be real tough dudes. In fact, the the warriors of Benjamin were renowned for their left-handed skill as marksmen and for their bravery. Judges chapter 20, 1 Chronicles 12, 1 Chronicles 8. But the point here at the conclusion of Jacob's blessing is this. Jacob's kids are all very different. But if, if there was, say, like one child, if there, was, if there was one child in the whole family that maybe you could have made the argument, he could have had a blank check to do whatever he wanted to do, it'd be Joseph. 
Joseph had a rough life. Joseph had a messed up life. Joseph could have easily said, I'm a victim and made excuses. And therein lies an important observation, and that's this. It's not what happens to you growing up that matters nearly as much as what you decide to do with it that determines your character. All these boys had the exact same family. Some of the boys, they started bad, they're still bad. Others, they started bad, and then they turned and they repented like Judah. And you have others like Joseph, they started good, they finished good. But Joseph, he could have played the victim card. He could have blamed it on the fact that my dad, and he had two wives and two girlfriends, and he played favorites. He could have had a life filled with excuses, but he doesn't. His life is, by and large, characterized by faithfulness and obedience, even when the archers attacked him, verse 23, even through the difficult chapters of his life. He stays faithful to God. Oh, the God would make us like Joseph. Faithful and loyal and obedient. Well, he says this. Verse 28, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Did you catch that? With the blessing that's suitable? You see, sometimes it is a good and kind thing to have a rebuke. Sometimes instruction is a blessing. Sometimes correction is a blessing. And the tendency we have when we're given instruction or we're given rebuke is to get angry. We don't like it when someone says, hey, I noticed uh, you, you know, you're doing X, Y, or Z. We don't like that. We're very resistant when people try to correct us. Jacob gives blessings that are suitable to each one of them. And some of the blessings... Jacob is saying, is wake up. Stop making excuses and start obeying God now. And the truth is, it's never too late to repent of your sins. It's never too late to bow the knee to Jesus. It's never too late to run to him and seek forgiveness. And that's what he's telling his sons. Listen to what I'm saying. Not to mention Jacob's own story. Jacob didn't follow God and become the type of person who was really faithful and obedient until later in his own life. Then he commanded them and said, verse 29, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. And when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed, And he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him, kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel 40 days were required for it. For that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him for 70 days. Uh, This is um, one of those times where you see the flags at half mass. Everyone honors Jacob here because Joseph honors him. 
because Jacob honors God. Flags are at half mass. I mean, this is a huge event, huge ordeal. I mean, this is where it's going to be nationally televised. Government employees, they're not working. The kids are out of school that day. And it says, verse 4, And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now therefore, let me please go and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he has made you swear. And so Joseph went up to bury his father. And with him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. And when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented, key word, with a great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizarim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he has commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan. And they buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which, is, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. There's a lot of crying. There's a lot of grieving in this episode. In fact, the text uses the word in verse 10, lamented. They're lamenting. Lamenting is allowing yourself to feel. Lamenting is allowing yourself to feel hurt and pain and process it. And some of you guys have never grieved. You've never processed. You've never worked through some of the things of your past. You've never allowed yourself to take on these emotions, to feel. And rather what happens is a lot of people tend to just bury their feelings and their hurts and their pain. Lamenting is a coming to resolution over the past pain that you've experienced. And men in particular struggle with this. Men in general like to nurse our hurts without speaking to anyone. To cut off ourselves. Because we don't want to feel the pain. And so we choose not to feel anything at all. And we withdraw from others. And we don't have close relationships. And the truth is that the very hurt you're trying to avoid is only temporarily suppressed. And eventually the hurt comes out later on, often at the worst times. 
See, the reality is this. You can be forgiven of your sins, but not healed from your hurts. You can be redeemed by Christ's atoning work on the cross and still carry like wounds from your past. Joseph's dad is, is dead. 20 years of his life were stolen. His sons didn't get to meet their grandpa until they were teenagers. He didn't get to see his younger brother, Benjamin, grow up. And then along the way, he gets falsely accused and condemned that he raped a woman, goes to prison for it. Lamenting is allowing yourself to feel and grieve and experience the reality of your pain. And some of you have been carrying these wounds with you. And you've never actually lamented. You've never allowed yourself to cry and grieve and feel the pain. That's what they're doing here. Their dad's gone. My hope, my hope and prayer today is that God would bring those of you healing who need healing. Those of you who need lamenting. Those of you who need to grieve over things you've never actually dealt with or processed. Real hurts, real pains. It's biblical. So as the team comes today, I want to pray for us. God, I cannot imagine in a room this size to imagine the hurts and pains and scars and wounds that are carried by each and every person. Some, Lord, who you have saved, but they've, they've never really lamented. They've never allowed themselves to feel and heal from their past. And I pray, God, for that person today that you would give them that ability, that you would bring healing to them, Lord. And Lord, for those of us who are like Jacob's sons who are still off the path of righteousness, I pray that we'd, today we'd, we'd turn to you. we turn to you. That we wouldn't be characterized as a Reuben or a Simeon or a Levi. That we would be characterized as a Judah. A guy who had a rough start. Until you got a hold of him. And he turned around. Lord, I pray that you would make us faithful and loyal and obedient. Like Joseph. To the end whether the end comes this week or in 80 years, make us faithful. Make us loyal. Make us obedient. Make us more like your son. We pray this in your name. Amen.